There we go. All right, I'm recording a session. Okay. Make, it, make it official. Now it is. Yeah, dude, I mean, this is what we're going to be doing. So, I mean, I'm super excited. Yeah, I definitely am excited to kind of start putting something together as far as the uh, timeline is concerned. Yeah, so with, um, with like one of these platforms that uh, lets you kind of send out your stream into multiple uh, channels, there's like a calendar so we can send out invites and, you know, we'll, we'll be able to play around with who we're doing that week. Right. Um, I think right now we got we to gotta hop on the train and get as many people, different conversations. Um, and then later on we can, you know, go hunting for the bigger bigger chefs uh i mean we we got shut down uh well we got shut down i haven't worked in six months but (laughs) uh i mean yeah jb pritzker announced like uh, no more indoor dining yeah which you know i mean i just it doesn't make sense not not at all Uh, you know i saw a post from uh chef lee woolen saying you know, we've been, we've been open through this entire pandemic or pandemic, however you want to say it, but um, yeah, like it's obviously not spreading in the restaurants. Uh, right. You know, right. We, no, we, it's from, yeah, it's from people going out and being silly, this, that, and everything else. But I think the hospitality industry as a whole is like really, really taking it seriously and doing a good job at putting the right procedures in place. Like it's no fun wearing a mask on a hotline, but it's something that we need to do. Exactly. And it's actually not, I mean, you've, you, you've, I haven't had to personally wear that, but you've done. Well, let me say, it's just, it's not a good time. It's not a good time at all. Yeah. I mean, but it's still, it's doable, right? Right. And that's the point is like, we are, people who are already like ones who deal with sacrifice by being in the hospitality industry and like serving others. And now we're going above and beyond that to like put masks on, make sure we're wearing gloves, extra cautious. There's a lot of restaurants in Florida here that are like, every time you go in, you have to get your temperature taken as an employee. And that's something that's never been done before. So I think it's going to be pretty pretty big at the end of it all well and that's the thing with that like we're taking all these precautions and we're getting nothing in return for it so like insurance <laughs> isn't covering us right uh, yeah we're, we're not getting subsidized by any means uh they you know they're not passing any stimulus on on any of these restaurants i mean you work at a boutique hotel so right. i mean that's like private funded right they're not anything crazy big like uh what, what was that restaurant group uh danny myers restaurant group uh what's those burgers i forgot the name the um shake shack oh yeah shake shack yeah like shake shack got 10 million dollars in like ppp and then they got backlash because it's like well you're not a small restaurant don't be taking it from you know small actual actual people that that are in trouble and stuff like that no and when i got furloughed from disney and i actually was you know what's the next step? What am I going to do? One of the things that was my saving grace is I found this operator who needed 
you know, someone to come in with this, this chef mentality, this chef idea of like, how do we run these restaurants better? And the thing that a lot of people don't know is franchise owners have a lot of control as far as their operations. And for McDonald's, for instance, the McDonald's corporation comes by twice a year. That's it to make sure that everything is running by standard, unless there's complaints and stuff like that. But, um, it was really grateful that he was able to get some PPE money because without that, I probably wouldn't have been able to find a job for longer than the three weeks I was already out of work. So even something as big as that, he was still worried like, okay, am I too big to be taking, you know, PPE money? I have nine stores. What about the people who only have, you know, one restaurant, two restaurants? It's, it's, it was definitely some, some scary times for a lot of the, the industry. No, and I, f- I feel that. But then again, I mean, it's also on the restaurants, right, to to have that six months cash available. But we're we're past that already, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, definitely helped. I mean, my parents took out uh, a loan, but, um, you know, their their thing is their thing. I can't oh, yeah. and it's, decide it's for that. them. It's but a loan. It's a loan. So, you know, you take that money out and it helps for a little bit, but it's all got to get paid back. Uh, there's no such thing as free money, especially exactly. when talking with the government. So, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like, well, okay. So let's kind of restart this entire thing and, and just reintroduce ourselves. Uh, yeah. so I, I'm Vlad Brianstead, but I go by Truffle Boy. <laughs> and then our co-host. I'm Doug. A host, Doug. Um, I work in Florida. Vlad's in my hometown. One day soon to be back. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to be back. It's snowing right now, so. I know. My parents sent me a picture of snow on their truck. And I was like, it's October. Come on. And you you were just here, what, three weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't even seem like it was that long ago, but yeah. Right. Three weeks. Outside. It was nice, decent weather. I mean, next week, they're showing that it's going to be better. I mean, that's Chicago, right? We we already know. Oh, yeah. The Midwest. You'll get all four seasons in one day. That I don't miss. You get to enjoy summer all year long. So. Yeah, exactly. No, if it gets below like 60 over here, it's, it's bad news. Bad news. No, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I got to chill out on that side of Florida, which you guys, you guys refer to as what? East, West coast, West coast. Yep. I mean, it's obviously it's still East coast cause it's Florida, but uh, yeah, it's the West coast of Florida. So we were on the East coast for about four years and the vibe over there is real different. Um, so finally we made the big jump to come over here on the West coast and uh haven't regretted it since it's been almost six months now that we moved over here so tampa area definitely enjoying it food scenes a lot better a lot more competition which is healthy for anybody you don't want to be you know a big fish in a small pond exactly well and and i think everything's kind of there's a lot of money invested right now on that side oh yeah tons i mean they just the city of St. Pete, they just spent $91 million to redo a pier that's strictly dedicated to, you know, 
our industry, the entertainment industry, bringing people to the city, um, you know, to eat and drink and everything else the city has to offer. There's a huge art scene. And so this city is definitely, definitely on the up and coming. It's, it's nice to be a part of something like that, where, you know, you feel like, okay, like something is growing here and there's still a lot of opportunity as far as the food scenes considered in Tampa. There's a lot of nice places, but um, there's no, uh, you know, Michelin recognition. Um, James Beard is kind of scarce. So all those things we start to see come into play. I'm, I'm excited to see where Tampa goes. I think it will be, I don't know if it'll ever be, you know, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, but um, I think it's going to go somewhere for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Michelin's never really been there, so, but, no. which is weird. Uh, and they're weird. And I don't really <laughs> like them right now, so. I, I don't think uh, people have a lot of love for them right now at all. I was actually just talking about that, that I think, uh, I think James Beard is slowly going to start sort of taking over. I don't think people pay attention to the stars as much as they used to, which is kind of sad, but I guess it's a, a showing of the time as well. Well, I just think a lot of these chefs are giving up so much to fit the criteria of a Michelin restaurant. Right. And yeah. what are they getting in return? A plaque, a, a plaque, a plate, whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, you're going to get some of those uh, super fine dining people that are going to come in and order like a $10,000 bo bottle of wine. And that's, right. that's amazing. But, you know, you're going to you're limiting how many people you're going to be taking, right? You're limiting what type of service you're running. Uh, yep. And then just for somebody to come and judge your food. And then, you know, I worked at, I was working at Royster uh, when we lost our Michelin star. That wasn't, yeah. you know, that wasn't a good vibe. And then like the reason they lost it is because, or the reason we lost it during that time was because we changed executive chefs. Right. Right. So they're going to ding you a Michelin star. And then they're going to let, because, right. Yeah. Simply because you're, you're, you're changing your executive chef. Right. But then it's like, well, what about all those people that came in and sacrificed their time waking up at three in the morning to be at work at four in the morning to fucking prep chickens and do all this shit and cut your stickers fucking straight and yeah. label everything. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's not a fair assessment right 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 no it's a huge bias and i mean when i was in the city i was working um for a couple of people that you know had worked for the alenia group for a while and um they were you know i was part of the opening team there and within eight months we were about to close down and so um a huge huge saving grace of that was the fact that we got our Michelin star, the fact we got a star. And I remember from having no star to when they had gotten the star, the business was just skyrocketed. And, you know, it was busy every night. And, you know, it's insane the amount of effect that that judgment call that seems kind of shady at times can affect a business so heavily. 100%. I mean, there, there, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? So you do, you do want to hold yourself to the highest standards, but then. Right. I, and I think James Beard does a better 
better at that. And I think where James Beer originated and their whole story is much. But, yeah, I think it's the more. origin. I agree. I think the origin of James Beard has kind of um, resonated a little bit more with people who are truly in the industry. And and then he, him himself, you know, it's like a Paul Bacuse. It's like Bacuse the or right? Right. You can't hate on that because it's one guy spent his entire life perfecting just like yeah. the, the most tedious techniques. Yeah. 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 And exactly. It's like, do you look at him wrongly because he never, you know, took himself to that sort of like fusion, fusion, you know, gastronomy sort of level? Or do you respect him because he perfected what he knew he was the best at? Right. Yeah. He stayed and then his restaurant. I, I mean, I don't know if you, I know you're not on Instagram any longer. Uh, right. But I, I bet you've seen the, the pictures of the Paul Bacuse house where it's like, it, it looks like it's, you know, from 1900s, nothing's right. changed. The right. roosters, the copper, I mean, it's beautiful, right? It's, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that you find nostalgic. It's hard to find people who are so committed to their craft and the unwillingness to change. And um, it reminds me of uh, Evan Funky out of LA. He, he's the chef of uh, Felix, but um, he's so dedicated to his pasta game. And, you know, that's what he has passion for. That's what he wants to do. And so when you see those people who just, they know where they want to take their culinary experience and they know exactly what they are the best at and they own that and you know they they work through that i think there's something really special to be said there 100 percent, i i agree uh and and he's not right he's doing whatever excuse me he's doing whatever he wants right right and he's staying true to himself and he built you know the brand around him right which I mean, big props to him and all his food looks amazing, simple, but amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then those, those sometimes are the harder dishes to put out than. Oh yeah. There's nothing to hide behind. There's not yeah. anything to hide behind. And so I think I agree. It's definitely, um, you have to have a higher level of execution, higher level of perfection. Consist and consistency, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget. Someone told me there's, there's no quality without consistency. So, you know, I try to teach my cooks that a lot because, you know, that saying sticks with me that and you're only as great as your last plate up. Um, both things my first mentor taught me, but uh, both of those kind of remind you that at any point it could all change. If one day you don't decide to put in 110% then who's to say that people are going to come in tomorrow? There's no guarantee. And I think that's drives a lot of chefs to the level of dedication and perfection and eagerness that they're at. It's like, it's all on the line every day. And I think that is, I think that's exciting. That's what makes me do it. <laughs> that's why I get up in the morning and, you know, spend the 12, 13, 14 hours every single day and kind of just grind it out for exactly that. I, I agree a hundred percent with that. And just to add to that, I mean, from my perspective, right. I wasn't, and I'm not going to say I'm the best 
now, but <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, those days where you, you come into work and you give it 70% and you get shit on by your right. chefs and your, your teammates and your line, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you have the next day to come in and bring that 110% and have a great service. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, when I, I know when I first started my culinary career, I, I was probably the worst line cook out there. I'd, I would never show up on time. I was the slowest one to get my prep done. I remember like working Garmo station and taking like five hours to do citrus supremes. And it's, I look back now and I'm like, like, damn, like, how did I move that slow? Like, I don't even understand what I was doing in five hours to make citrus supremes. And um, it's kind of crazy. You see how far you've pushed yourself and how far, how far you've come. And uh, again, I think that just makes you appreciate the journey, you know, all that much more, but no, I was, I was probably one of the worst line cooks out there when I started my career, you know, I, I wouldn't um, say that. I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, we were in the same culinary class, so yeah, we had a great yeah. teacher. We teachers. did. We did Our, have some really, really good teachers. Um, which is a shitty topic to get into. About yeah, I was going to say, is it too soon? Um, <laughs> it's just like, I can't even imagine. I mean, I just had such a great time at that culinary school and just yeah. like, you know, you, yeah. me, Jerry, JT, Mark. Yeah. Uh, remember Mark yeah. Voorhees? Yeah, yeah. I remember Mark, uh, Isaac, Alex. I remember all those people. So I don't know Isaac or Alex. I don't remember those guys. No. They're no. from... Um, Isaac was in some of the culinary classes, but uh, Alex was in Tech Campus. And then I think he went to CLC like a year after us or something like that. There was a couple other ones. I mean, you ended up, you didn't stick around for the full thing, did you? No, I, I didn't graduate in my degree, but I think, uh, oh, look, Alex is on here now. Um, yeah, Alex went to the CIA after, uh, after tech. That's right, in Hyde Park. Um, no, I finished my degree, but I think because I did Tech Campus beforehand, that's why I finished like a half a year earlier or something like that. I don't know, it feels like forever ago now, 2016. <laughs> I still have one, I have a, a PE class that I was like, I'm not gonna take it. <laughs> and then, and Come then- on, I mean, go do your PE, what the hell? Go take well, PE class. It was like, uh, it was like, I finished everything, right? And then I yeah. had, one another semester just to take a PE class yeah and, and there were morning classes and then I don't need you to I don't need me to tell you but you know I was always late so yeah yeah oh yeah I know you and your time I remember chef Will would like every day every day so shout yeah. out to Alex yeah Miss, yeah, that's Miss and Doug. I, I remember I, that's what I thought that we were like one grade above you one year but uh, yeah, yeah. I remember me, Alex, and Isaac. We all did a uh, cooking competition in downtown at uh, Kendall College, which was like sort of the rival of CLC, I guess, and some sort of weird facet. But um, 
during the cooking competition, I remember Isaac like chopped off half his thumb and like me, me and Alex had to finish the whole competition. And uh, Isaac was like all bandaged up and everything. It's pretty funny. I think we made like eggs Benedict with like a salad. That was like the first co cooking competition I'd ever did. And um, I remember being pretty nervous about it. We were gonna do like eggs Benedict and uh, home fries or something like that. But then the, uh, the student, whatever, she changed our mind. So we did a eggs Benedict with like a salad. But um, yeah, that was a pretty fun night. Pretty, pretty, pretty memorable. It's how, really old were, how old were you? How old were we? We were probably, I think we were juniors or seniors in high school. So I think me and Isaac were seniors and Alex was a junior, but um, that must've been in 2014, 2014 or 2013. That's crazy to think about it now. It is, it is not, I mean. Yeah. What, what, what would be the best words of advice that you would give yourself back then? <laughs> uh, move faster. Definitely move faster. But, but um, like, what's moving faster, right? Because if you're not confident, no, yeah. there's only so so fast you can, you know, move. Yeah, yeah. I think, honestly, it probably move faster in, in the sense of, like, it took me a while to actually come to the realization that, like, I can do this. I always, like, was the cook who was like, uh, what am I gonna get fired for today? You know, what am I gonna mess up today? And um, once you get over that and you realize that you're cooking for the guests and you're not cooking for a chef and you realize that you're able to like actually pull something out of yourself that you didn't know necessarily was there and you realize that that's why the chef is the way they are, um, you know, they call it, uh, making a profound impact. So, you know, something that's, you know, a radical truth, something that's within yourself that, you know, you're being shown and moving faster and realizing what your potential is, that probably would have been the piece of advice. That and uh, write more things down. There's a lot of recipes and everything. You kind of just scribble in a hurry and, um, you know, all those notebooks and notebooks you have over the years, they get harder to decipher as you forget the chicken scratch. <laughs> oh. Are we going to see another uh, Sharpie double page? You're, you're talking about these? <laughs> exactly. Those notebooks. Exactly. Uh, let, me, let me show you the difference. But no, it's, it's, uh, it's really that. Once you get that idea of, you know, I'm able to do this, I can do this. Let me prove myself to that. Um, you're a much different cook, a much different chef at that point. Honestly, most of my stuff that's filled in my notebook is just like prep lists. <laughs> Good old prep lists. Pre prep lists and end of night counts. <laughs> uh, we have clipboards for all that stuff, my good sir. So this, this, was, uh, this was from... <laughs> Uh, when Alin uh, I did my stage at Alinea, and then at yeah. the end of the night, the, the chef goes, one no niece, one no pork, one no shellfish, one no raw, one no offal, one no offal, 
one no seafood, one no organ, one no cilantro, one no almonds, one prego, one no meat, one no meat. And then you have to figure that shit out for the next day. That's on you. And, he, and they say it so fast too. It's like, hold on, let me, uh, what, what was that? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty intense, but I was definitely uh, too much in my head. How you doing, uh, Alphoric Amar? I hope I pronounced that right. I hope so too. I hope so too. But yeah, I wanna, I wanna share. He's got a giant fish, that looks pretty cool. Is that a barrel fish? I don't know, you can't make it bigger. But like, you know, I started writing it much neater and yeah, much more legible. Yeah, hell yeah, risotto. Did, um, so what did all that mean? What's one no prego? So like the entire, whatever she's getting that she can't, she's pregnant. So right, right. Like no shellfish, uh, maybe shellfish, no raw stuff. Um, yeah, pretty much no raw stuff. I mean, whatever pregnant women can't have. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to have to modify what, whatever your station is doing that night or the next night, you're going to have to have uh, some things ready for them oh. in specific. So like, let's say if you can't do cilantro, and you're doing a, a steak taco with cilantro, you're going right. to switch that cilantro to, let's say, parsley or some other micro herb, which, I mean, it was insane. They're micro so you were collection. You were prepping the special diets for the next day. So you know who, yeah, exactly. Because right. you write the prep list for the commies. Then the commies right. come in at four in the morning and they prep all your shit. And well, they, they have to think start thinking about it too because you know, they have to make some modifications and stuff. Right. And then when you come in, you pretty much set, you know, like what seating they're going to be seated at. I mean, it, it, at that point, it's so easy, but yet so complicated. Right. Right. um, But yeah, that was fun. Definitely missed a thousand recipes that I could have, I would have loved to like recreate just for, for even myself, not for, um, you know, cooking, making money. No. And that's kind of what I realized, like, um, you know, one of my first mentors, uh, Matt Dubois, who was the two-star chef at L Ideas. And then um, he kind of, we met each other in Avasi. He hired me as his line cook. And um, then we came down and he took me on at Ben Bohemia when he took the executive chef job. He wanted me to come down with him. And so I did, but, um, <clears throat> you know, unfortunately, uh, sometime last year he uh he took his own life and so these people that are so you know father figure-esque in your life and they give you all this information and you realize that you know I've probably only written down 20 percent of everything that you know I could have had from this person and now you know there's not like there's going to be another chance and so when you start to realize like, I guess just how lucky some of us are to be so important in other people's lives. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to share, you know, a recipe and a cooking technique and, you know, a style of doing this and doing that. I don't think um, as young line cooks, we really take full understanding of how much someone's pouring into us. We kind of just, uh, like, all right, yeah, you're really annoying me right now. But yes, yeah, got it. Uh-huh. 
I can't wait to get shit faced later and not think about you. Um, but the chef is there literally, you know, heart and soul. This is my life's work for 20 years. And, um, a lot of young line cooks are just kind of like, you know, flipping him the bird. So I think it's, uh, I think it's important to, uh, really understand how lucky some of us are with some of the mentors and chefs that we are, you know, take for granted possibly. No, a hundred percent. And I mean, yeah, when you're in the moment and you know, your chef's fucking ripping you a new asshole. The only thing you think about inside is like, I'm about to walk out like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't think like, Oh, this is helping me. This is for my betterment. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, that realization that takes some time. That's not a, an easy, uh, you can tell someone that a hundred times, but you kind of have to figure that out in your own head. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it, it's crazy. Uh, you know, the amount of things that we miss as a young cook. Yeah. Even in culinary school, right? Like, I, I, I mean, I kept them. I don't know about you, but remember all those recipes that Chef Rob and Chef Will gave us? Oh no, yeah, I have a I have a huge binder. They're labeled out by sauce, protein. Yeah, I look at that stuff all the time, especially some of those cheat sheets about like you know uh, what vegetables and fruits are you know in season here and there or um, countries. You know, if I want to make an Egyptian dish, what sort of spices should I look for? You know, all those little tools. I don't think. Um, I was talking to one of my line cooks about this uh, earlier earlier last week, but uh, as soon as a chef, as you think you have all the answers and you don't need to reach out for help and you, you're you in your own head so much that you don't start looking at what other people are doing, I think that's when you start to fail, 100%. So Doug, um, we, we, have a, we have a special visitor, line cook 83. This guy <laughs> ripped my asshole every single day, bro. Every day. Every day, bro. Let's see. Uh, and we got young, young Roland. I don't know how to pronounce that. Can you, can you, Doug, can you do the, and Chef Malcolm. Oh, all my culinary peeps. Here they are. Here they are. Yeah, but Line Cook 83, man. So this guy, craziest story. Fucking wicked chef. Cooks like the best Asian grandma. I mean, fish sauce and everything, his, his thing, I, I, I mean, no, not, I mean, he could probably do it from scratch. Yeah. He's, he's the guy that showed me a linear recipes and I was like, yeah, I'm never going to do it. And he's like, yeah, I, d- I dabbled. I dabbled. It's easy. It's not. Nah. Yeah. Just, just, I dabble. just does a little like, like this, you know, and when I have, when I have to do like create any recipes for uh, just like all these collabs that I try to do and get myself involved in. I, yeah. I, I always hit him up for ideas. And then I tell him at the end, like, don't be surprised if you see me ripping you off. Like, I'm going to take your idea. I'm going to do it. Like, I don't care. Uh, so, so far, he's been cool. With yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, exactly. No, I think that's what's awesome about our industry is, um, I mean, I've never, you know, I've never done anything else this is what I've done for the last nine years. But I think the relationship and there's always this weirdest stigma, like, chefs don't share the recipes like their top secret like 
I've always found chefs are very willing to, you know, help here and there and always, you know, show someone a new technique, this or that. As long as you're going to take the time to listen and actually put forth some effort, um, I haven't found it to be some sort of uh, locked up secret code that, you know, uh, is in a vault somewhere like a Krabby Patty recipe or something. Exactly. And even those are being replicated today. Right, right. I have Doug, we have our first six official viewers listening in. <laughs> six official. So we're, we're uh, getting on the way. For everybody joining in, this is going to be a late night podcast with chefs, for yeah. chefs, for the people in the industry. I, everybody I called out right now, and including uh, Amar, you know, we want to get you on the other side. Me and Doug are going to be co-hosting co this podcast. We yeah. want to get your opinions. Uh, our industry is, you know, fucking sinking like the Titanic, uh, depending where you are in the country Holy. at the moment. Yeah. But COVID uh, was a giant iceberg. <laughs> so, I mean, we got to stick together. We got to do something and we got to let our uh, voices be heard. And I, I want to hear yeah. everybody's story, everybody's side, everybody's perspective, uh, because it does matter. And we are, I mean, they're going to be writing about us culinary industry restaurants like oh, 2020 yeah. that shit happened to restaurants and they're going to be teaching that in you know culinary school like well, well what did what did people do right and that's right, right. That, that's the entire mission right doug no exactly i mean the whole idea is you know this like Vlad said this is a place you know by industry people for industry people and um we just want to know you know like Vlad said, everybody's story, you know, where did, where are you guys at? Where do you guys see it? I know Florida is different from Illinois, you know, uh, New York's about to go into another lockdown. Uh, the governor, you know, DeSantis down here is kind of just letting everybody do whatever they want. Um, you know, COVID cases are starting to climb again. And so it's really so that we can sort of, you know, piece together this puzzle that you know is very unfinished right now the food and beverage industry you know affected by covid is not a closed book by any means and um you know just growing from there getting everybody's perspective um i'm definitely you know excited to see where this goes a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of passion behind this topic and in this industry there's a lot of energy so i think it's going to be good Exactly. And then me, me being on the Chicago side, not working for six months, being on furlonged, uh, yeah. you know, I, whatever, I, I, <laughs> I, I was laxadaisical about it. He was like, I've just been chilling. The couch is uh, great. Me, me and Doug got together. He, he came out to Chicago a couple of weeks ago with this beautiful girl. Yes. She uh, is. And, and then Doug took, took me to, I don't, I don't remember what it's called, but one of the, the green emerald. Tell us, tell us about the Green Emerald. It's one of the more iconic Chicago bars. Rumor, Al Capone used to, you know, dabble in a drink here or there. So I don't know how true that is. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good, good, good little cocktail. Pianist and everything. It was nice. Hell yeah, dude. And he was like partially blind, right? No, I think he was fully blind. <laughs> okay. He was yeah. like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, but yeah. I think he was a hundred percent blind. Yeah. Uh, I think the funniest, well, 
one, you got to tell everybody that uh, that drink you tried to order that they didn't have. So I want. Oh, the Bucaray. Yeah. The Bucaray. I, Bucare? I don't know. Uh, it's a it, New Orleans is the you know origination of the Bucaray, but um, yeah, I had it down here in the Tampa, uh, St. Pete area at a place called the Copper Shaker, and it was really good. And um, I've been trying to find other places that do it, but um, it's Benedictine and whiskey rye. And I think a lot of places don't carry the Benedictine anymore. I'm not a huge, um, you know, FOH guy. I've obviously been in the back of house my entire career, but uh, I don't know if it's something that's just too hard to source or if it's just not popular or if it's only for that one drink. But uh, Vucare, if you haven't had one and you like rye whiskey, see if your your local bar can do it for you because it's quite good right well that might be a little complicated for people in chicago now since i i don't even know if there's yeah. no if there's no indoor dining is there indoor barring like well are they still like i know that a lot of places were doing like to go cocktails and that kind of thing so i don't know if they're still doing that yeah but do you was... imagine do you imagine the green room doing cocktails to go <laughs> yeah the blind guy serving them <laughs> you know no. it's like they're, they're they're gonna die like these iconic restaurants right. are, are right. gonna die i mean yeah. that bar we were in was it's iconic and there was like 20 people tops right and then it was like we were entering like a cia facility they took my driver license my social security my oh, address wonder. when yeah. we came in how many people we came in with when did we leave like and i was like well i go into walmart and there's people breathing on my neck and what, what that Walmart guy sitting outside is just tallying people that come in and come out. So yeah. if I, I came in with some bullshit, touched a bunch of cereal, touched a bunch of produce and then right. somebody else came, how are you going to track that? And then these bars are tracking like for, for a bar like that to be that age and to confine to today's regulations. So much restrictions. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. I mean, I haven't been in a Walmart since COVID, but I'm sure people aren't wearing their masks properly. Also, you know, who's upholding that people are wearing their mask. And, you know, I think that kind of goes back to like what you said earlier about the service industry is we're, we already sacrificed so much just because of what our jobs are, but we're now even putting ourselves in more of a predicament, you know, like wearing masks on a hotline and, you know, the servers having to wear masks and gloves and, you know, everything else. But um, we are sacrificing and extending ourselves even more just for the hope that people will feel comfortable enough to come out and come, you know, join us. And um, it's, it's weird times. It's definitely weird times. And then, you know, you guys, like you said, there's no dining at all. So what do the, what do the servers do at that point? It's uh, and it's snowing outside. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And notoriously, you know, the winters aren't so good because everyone from Chicago is down here in Florida. So your your highnessy has joined. This is my this is my meal meals to go guy. Oh, fit, there you go. Fit for a king, fit for a queen. By yours truly, your highnessy. I I need to trademark that before he steals it for me. <laughs> but yeah i mean he was my old sous chef at royster and now he's doing meals to go doing private dinners yeah. uh, ho hopefully he hit up that lady that i asked him to hit up but we'll see <laughs> little opportunity there yeah uh, 
you know, everybody's changing gears and everybody's doing a little bit different. So yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's get back to, you know, where we wanted this conversation to go since we kind of drifted away, but let's yeah, talk about like, but before March, like when did you, when did Disney, when did you as a chef or when did your restaurant start getting impacted? Right. Cause we didn't yeah. get, we, I mean, we got shut down in Chicago, March 15th, March 13th, but March 16th, nobody was doing, uh, I mean, pretty much everybody was dead. Like the streets right. were, were dead. Everybody was scared. Right. Yeah. No, uh, good luck on that line. <laughs> Keep that mask on. Um, well, no, he's he's cooking at home. He doesn't have to wear a mask. Oh, but uh, um, no. So for us, uh, I would say I was at the hotel at the time, and so in March the occupancy was pretty low. But um, April nineteenth was the day we officially. That was it. There was no, you know, the work like, was over. So was news? Was news like? Cause I mean, I guess in our state, it was like, well, one person has fucking COVID. Don't worry about it. Like we're all good. Uh, that, that started happening around like. Well, it was, worry, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, the worry was always because we weren't sure, you know, we were uh, offsite property. We were on the East coast, um, 90 miles away from, you know, the mothership of Orlando. So we were always thinking like, all right, well, Orlando might get shut down, but maybe we'll still stay open. Who knows? Wait, so explain that to me. I thought you worked for Disney in Orlando. No, so I worked on the East Coast, 90 miles, you know, away from Orlando. I worked for their DVC uh, timeshare properties. So Get all their, it. yeah, so that's their, you know, their timeshare Disney Vacation Club. I was at the hotel out on the East Coast, Vero Beach. And so we always thought, well, maybe, you know, if Orlando gets closed down, maybe we'll still be open. We don't really know how it's going to go. So we're just kind of day by day going. And I think um, sometime in the first or second week of April, we knew like, hey, it's coming like April 19th. But did, but did you see like reservations start going down, 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 down? Yeah. Our occupancy for those first two weeks in April was probably like 20 to 30 percent, if that. Uh, for the last week when we were, before we were officially furloughed, um, it was close to like 4%. We had like, it was weird because when we were trying to, to close down and furlough the hotel, we would have guests who were booked from Europe and their mobile numbers, we can't dial on a, a normal cell phone. And so we were having issue getting in contact with guests to try and let them know like hey we're closing like you're gonna come here and there's not gonna be a hotel that would check into wow and so that was always pretty pretty weird to actually like understand we're closing and there's no guarantee that you're gonna have a job to come back to i mean the company was bleeding you know millions millions every single week and payroll and you know expenses and everything else and so eventually we had to just furlough and cut it because there was no money there was nothing right and it's kind of stupid to just waste product to bring it in just to have for if somebody comes in um right. but like in april you saw so let's say april 2019 occupancy i mean i don't know if you worked there that long but what, yeah, what no, was yeah. 
what was the occupancy then? Yeah, I mean, April, I remember April 2019 was actually one of the first years. I mean, there had been a long degradation at that hotel in the food and beverage industry. And that's one of the reasons um, that they put me in that hotel. But I remember April 2019 was one of the first years we were actually in the green for a month. I think we finally made uh, like twenty or $30,000 that month from being, you know, year over year losing, you know, 750,000, 600,000, losing all this money, we finally started to, to gain some ground. And um, it was really awesome to be a part of that team, but you realize how much work you've put into the resort and the hotel and that we're doing this really great work and, you know, people are enjoying it more than ever. Um, and we're finally starting to turn a corner and then boom, COVID, you know, you can't predict that. And so you start to see, you know, all your hard work, um, all your financial successes just plummet. And that's really difficult to watch too, because, you know, that's those 12 hour shifts. That's those shifts where, you know, I, I work saute so I could send a line cook home because I wanted to save eight hours today, you know, in payroll. Um, that's when it really, really starts to hit like, I don't have any control of what's coming. I have no control and I can't, I can't plan for this. I can't predict how this is going to affect. All I can do is, you know, do what I know what's right and, you know, do what I know makes the most business sense. 100%. And you were uh, CDC, right? For that resort? Uh, for that resort, I was the sous chef and then I was acting chef um, for about nine months. So the chef ended up leaving and then pretty much yeah. till the end of COVID exactly. you were, you they were call it a, um, the chef had left. They call it, we'll, we'll use you, but we'll pay you less. Yeah. They call it TA temporary assignment, but, um, he had left <clears throat> maybe in February of 2019, I want to say. So from February of 2019, all the way up until then I was, running the resort and then um january they had brought in uh who was going to be running the resort after me so even you know to this day you know my story kind of ended with disney um when that furlough happened i realized you know um i wanted to go to the west coast i realized you know that i wanted to seek out other opportunities and so uh you know back to the story of how COVID affected, uh, you know, my food and beverage journey. Um, April 19th, we all get furloughed and I'm starting to try and figure out what's the next thing and uh, end up finding a uh, McDonald's owner operator. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's, a, there's an interesting story. You can't just jump to conclusion of how, I, I want to know exact. I want to show the people, I want to show the viewers exactly how, the right place at the right time happens. Tell me it does. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That is, uh, you know, you, you're just talking about your own life. So you think that's ah, not that interesting, but, um, you know, when you think about it, it's pretty serendipitous. So, um, my beautiful girlfriend, she, her parents own a brewery on the East coast. And so what, we, what's the brewery's name? Uh, Paradolia. Paradolia. So if you're ever in Sebastian, Florida, Paradolia Brewing delicious beer they don't they don't serve coronas so don't worry about that 
No, there's not. There's no Bud Lights there or Coronas. Um, craft beer only. Uh, only beer that they make. They got about like 12 to 14 on tap. So, uh, which on a on a completely side note, if I ever get to come there uh, to where where you're at and we get to go to that brewery, I will bring oh, truffles yeah. and we have to make some truffle beer. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, I we'll, think we'll talk about that. It can be all about that. But we got it live on camera and hopefully recorded. So yeah, truffle beer coming sometime soon. That would, I would probably be pretty it's, good. It's been done before. So it has? Uh, yeah, my chef, uh, I worked for Chef Giuseppe Tentori. Yeah. Uh, and he did a collab with somebody local in Chicago brewery. And they did a truffle, uh, truffle stout. Yeah. Truffle stout. There we go. I believe. And then he paired it with like uh, like a trout with uh, with lentils and bacon, which I mean. I think so that, a good truffle beer and some French fries would probably be really fantastic. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Or or like uh, like malt vinegar. Yeah. Truffle beer. Chips. Yeah. Like those kettle cooked ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Bar, bar concept coming 2025 <laughs> yeah shuffle boy bar concept all right so you her parents are in the brewery and so we're, so we're in her parents brewery and um we were filling up a growler because i think we're gonna go have tacos uh or something to that effect uh and uh yeah exactly alex truffle we got, shirt. We got another another industry person uh gene gene is a front of the house guy I oh, there you go. actually haven't communicated with him in a while, probably pre-COVID, but yeah. Um, shout out to Gene for joining in, listening in. We're talking about, uh, you know, our industry and what's happening. And uh, we're trying to give all our chefs, all our friends, everybody in the industry, a voice to be heard, to tell their side of the story. And, you know, what, what are we going to do? to move on and what are we doing to move on? I mean, it's been six months, right? So a lot of people have moved on. A lot of people are still stuck in their head and we, we, we wanna inspire and show people as much stuff. That was my lovely lady back there. Just staying out of the conversation. Dinner, yeah. dinner is waiting for me, but business is business. <laughs> business first, business first, stomach later. Yeah, so Gene says, terrible, no dine-in starting today, which, I mean, it fucking sucks. And he worked at uh, Carson uh, Barbecue, fire-ass spot. I mean, they're known yeah. for like, their ribs and stuff, but they obviously have some Spanier items. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fucking, it hit everybody across the board. Uh, but continuing on, I interrupted you, Doug. Uh, no, you were saying you were, you were at the brewery. Yeah, um, so we're... We're at the brewery, we're getting a growler for a taco picnic. And um, we get uh, up there and um, I see her dad's talking to somebody. And so uh, he's talking about uh, a rum or something to the effect that, you know, they were making. And uh, he invites us over and lo and behold, uh, this gentleman that her dad's talking to uh owns and operates nine different mcdonald's and um he was talking about how he got some ppe money and how he was looking for someone to kind of come in 
and uh, revamp some of his food cost practices and uh, everything else he had going on, a little bit of food costs, a little bit of waste management, some inventory control things. And um, literally like two days in uh, of being furloughed, I found this guy and uh, he had hired me on for, uh, I think we started with a two month contract because I wasn't sure what was going on with Disney. Um, so we started with the two month contract and I ended up doing like food cost consultant work for him. Basically I drove around to all his different locations. I'd never worked in a McDonald's before. I had never done uh, like a franchise quick service. And so it was definitely a very, very weird experience. Very, um, a very, uh, I don't know. It's a different level. You don't understand. You, you kind of just think that like working in a McDonald's is like, you don't have to have any level of skill or that kind of thing. But if you've never worked in a McDonald's, some of the most interesting parts of it is First, as you're speaking in order, it's being rung into the kitchen. So imagine, you know, we all work in a table service industry. So imagine as the guest is speaking at a table, the server has a POS system, you know, in their hands. And before they can even send a check through for completion, you know, they'll hit cheeseburger. And as they're modifying it, it'll print in real time on the kitchen uh, bump screen. So one of the things that I always saw is like something like that super interesting where you're in lifetime getting the, uh, you know, the ticket order. But if you are to modify something at the end of your order, it totally screws up their bump screen. So if you have a cheeseburger and then you order, you know, 10 other things and you're like, oh, on that first cheeseburger, no pickles, that cheeseburger has probably already been made and wrapped and waiting in, in your, you know, brown paper bag for you. Um, 170 seconds from the moment you start speaking to the moment they want you leaving the drive-through with your food. And I know a lot of us here couldn't put up a plate of food in 170 seconds. So it is pretty, it's pretty wild when you kind of work in a McDonald's. I mean, I, I did it for, four months total, I was contracted with him. So it's, it's its own beast. You know, I can't hate on those guys after doing it. You, you don't realize the amount of uh, precision and, and quickness that they have to have. Uh, it's a penny pinching business. So, you know, they are worried about every single, every single penny they can make. Doug, I'm going to interrupt you. We have one heavy hitter in the house. Chef Dennis in the house, giving us some heart eyes. I don't know how to call that emoji, but I'm going to be learning a lot of things. Uh, and I think this is what this entire thing is, too. We're going to be showing you, talking to you about the entire process. Uh, you know, we're starting from the ground up. So, like, I just got a mic this week. I just got headphones. I just got a webcam. Doug is getting his stuff in. That's why, uh, Doug, yep. because, because you don't have headphones in right now, my voice is coming out and then it's coming, it's coming out to you and then it's re-recording it. So people hear me twice. Let me see. Uh, Let me see if I can fix that. That's all good. But yeah, Dennis, we're definitely getting you on a podcast session in here. Uh, your spot, your seat is getting nice and warmed up right now. 
So that's going to be coming shortly. I'm going to be in contact with everybody. Uh, but Dennis, love you. Uh, but yeah, Dennis right now is in uh, Virginia, I believe. If he's still with us, probably did, probably left, probably in service. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he left Royster and went to Virginia, and now he's a, a executive chef at a, at a Pink Roos. Again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a nice uh, boutique hotel kind of stuff you're doing. Uh, definitely check him out, uh, everybody. But yeah, uh, we're still trying to figure all the kinks kinks i don't know if you can call it kinks but so so now i don't hear you doug now you just disappeared oh live video ended are you able to no i can't hear you dude I cannot hear you, mate. Eric, can you hear me now? I can hear you now, loud and clear. Okay. Um, it only the video ended because it only allows you to record for one hour. Live. Really? How yeah. are we doing this Zoom right now? I thought Zoom is. Well, also... that was for the Insta, the Instagram. Yeah, but with Zoom, it's also usually. Oh, I don't know. It's allowing us on this. Um, should I upload this to the post? Uh, yeah, if you upload it to the IGTV, I think that would be the best. Because um, if you do it as a post, it won't post the entire uh, thing. Um, okay. I'll try and mess with that. Yeah, I think that was amazing for the first run. Um, I think we got a yeah, couple, I think so. couple people uh, watching in, and I think they're going to be making that um, their new thing. Sorry, I'm trying to like multi, I can't, I can never multitask when you're like trying to type something and talk at the same time. You end up typing what you're right, what you're, what you're talking about, and now where you actually. What do you want the title of this IG IGTV video? Like here uh, we are, podcast zero zero zero. I don't know, whatever you want. I I honestly, it's, that's that's what I put on mine. I'm gonna post it um, late nights, or is it late night with chefs? Late nights with chefs. Yeah, late night with chefs. No, I think that went really well. Um, I'm kind of excited that we're able to kind of just like freely talk and it just feels like- That's what I'm saying. Too. We're just like literally talk and, and we're connecting. Like everything we're saying, people fucking, they've, they've lived it. Like this is right. their fucking life. They've, right. they've ate shit. They've been in the weeds. They've yeah. fucking, they, they've came up. I mean, some right. people started as dishwashers. Some people fucking- Right. I mean, 
it's it's insane. What's crazy though is when I post this fucking IG shit, it only posts my side. I think no, there's a way to choose uh choose like 